pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, good morning to you. It's, uh, I believe, the 10th. No, it's not. It's the 9th. Let's not get ahead of ourselves when we're having so much fun. Uh, it's the 9th. And, uh, you know, once I found out that uh, Trump was only going to speak for about eight minutes, I thought, well, you know, you can do it. Eight minutes you can handle. And you don't even have to look. You can sort of listen. When I look, I just get so fixated on his the horror of every aspect of his uh, visage. What is it with his lips when he... He's always well. I guess that's how um, Alec Baldwin, when Alec Baldwin plays him on Saturday Night Live, he's always in that that he's got that face. You know the squinty eyes and this, his lips pursed in this awful. He's just repulsive. I'm sorry, he's repulsive, and because his hair was done up just right and there was no wind in the Oval Office other than what he was producing, I stared somewhat fascinated at it for um, a while and imagined how it has to be one of the world's longest and, and most intricate comb-overs ever. I mean, if anyone does a history of comb-overs, I, I can't imagine where that hair is is where it starts, how it, I, I, whatever, anyway. So we all, we all do what we have to do <laughs> to, <laughs> to get through. Um, somebody tweeted uh, during it, let me find this because I thought it was funny. The only, you know how they have drinking games, uh, you know, uh, as often as Trump says rapist, you know, you can take a drink or, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, the one I like is tonight's drinking game, just drinking, right? Just drink, which, by the way, I did not do. I was uh, sober as a judge last night. <sighs> I don't recommend it. Uh He is, well, there's no need for me to dissect a, a, a blathering uh, campaign speech that the network should not have carried. And at one point during the speech, when he just went off on this litany of falsehoods about painting these desperate people co trying uh, coming here, applying for asylum... And he's talking literally about them raping us, killing us. What did he even say? Beheading? <laughs> I it was, and I thought networks, networks, cut away, cut away. None of this. It is just cut. What a what a cheer would have gone up if just one of them had had the the courage to cut out, like I mentioned yesterday, that Israeli network did during uh, Netanyahu's recent speech where he hoodwinked the media in the same way. Very important address I have to give as the head of this country and blah, blah, blah. And then it just turned into a, you know, a political speech uh, to his base. So when, when, when he starts saying, here's one of the quotes, how much more American blood must be shed before Congress does its job. I mean, what the F is he talking about? There is more American blood shed every day because of insane uh, gun laws in this country because of car accidents, because of people not having access to good health care. Man, because of spousal abuse, 
uh, there's blood being shed all over this country, yeah, but it ain't being shed by, as a result of desperate people trying to get into our country and doing it um, in what international and our national law recognizes is a legitimate way. Ah. <sighs> So the good news is is at least five Republican senators have already publicly made some sounds that uh, suggest that they might be willing to vote, if McConnell allows a vote, uh, on continuing on, stopping the shutdown, and continuing this negotiation over funds for a wall in, an, in, another, in another manner. You know, no reason to tie it to the funding for uh, the country. Ah, geez, guys, I don't know. You know, before he went on television last night, uh, he held an off-the-record luncheon with a whole bunch of TV anchors. Uh, and what that kind of thing is about, I can't imagine. It's off the record, so they don't really tell us, I guess. But some people have uh, said that during it, he sort of suggested that he really didn't want to give the speech he was going to give and he didn't really want to go down to the border, as he is going to go, uh, but they made me do it. So he was already getting some sense that it might not help him, and he was already looking to deflect um, any responsibility and to, in fact, blame uh, his staff. And so the New York Times quotes him as actually saying... Uh, as he gestured to his communication aides, Bill Shine, late of Fox News, these people behind you say it's worth it to give the speech. And he said it's got not going to change a damn thing. Well, he is probably correct in that assessment. Um... I don't have to share with you the fact that despite calling this a crisis, if there's any crisis, we all know it's a crisis of his own making. It's his policies that have created a crisis, the deaths of two children, the anguish of detained and separated uh, parents and children. Uh, he is talking about drugs, like we're all dying because these people are smuggling heroin into the country. When, again, um, the majority of heroin that enters the United States is not carried across the southern border. It's flown in, just as terrorists, most of whom live here, by the way, terrorists coming into the country do not cross the southern border, they fly in. In fact, it's, it's generally believed that more terrorists cross the border from the United States to Mexico than Mexico to the United States. There are more than one instances of border police snagging Americans who have sworn allegiance to ISIS, <laughs> trying to get to Mexico to travel to where they want to be. Right. Uh, so by all indications and polls, the majority of American people don't want the goddamn wall. The majority of American people want the government opened. The majority of peop American people are not buying the fact that uh, this is a genuine crisis. Um, let me just share with you 
Here's some interesting facts. Here's some facts. Just a day before the shutdown began, a report, 22-page report, called the National Strategy to Combat Terrorism Travel was um, presented to the Congress and under, uh, actually, it, Trump's signature on it. It was prepared by the staff of the National Security Council. I believe this is an ongoing kind of report that the council has to uh, provide um, on a yearly basis. This year they sent it on December 21st, the day before the shutdown, as I, I mentioned, and talking about combating terrorism and terrorists coming into the United States, they did not mention in the 22 pages building a wall. This is the government that Trump heads, and he signed this thing. He probably didn't even know what he was signing. It does not mention a wall. He probably didn't read it. Someone said, here, sign this. The document urged data sharing among agencies, uh, improve coordination. <laughs> you know, the document had, like, legitimate, here's how you do this, uh, coordination with foreign uh, governments and intelligence to identify terrorists. Uh, <laughs> I... Um, So the latest ranking of urgent national security vulnerabilities, this report, um, which is compiled annually, puts the terrorist threat from the southwest border low, low, low on the list and doesn't even get around to mentioning it until it's talking about some drugs coming in from the uh, from the south and the interesting thing is is if you look at what the National Security uh, Council is telling us in this report <laughs> I mean the, the fact that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand in this administration is doing the fact that Trump signs a document that totally puts the lie to everything he said last night <laughs> is actually frightening how totally incompetent this administration is. There is no organized administration. We have next to no, what do we have? Uh, we've got uh, cabinet and departments and agencies without heads. We've got, and even when they do have uh, heads, well, so all the things that the security experts in the administration say should be done uh, are hampered by the shutdown to build the wall, which they said they didn't even mention, uh, because the government shutdown has furloughed, uh, I believe it's nearly half of the of the um, staff of the Department of Homeland <laughs> Security and um, its Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, which would be the first line of defense against the kind of attacks that are exist in the real world. And, uh, in fact, Trump has dismantled the office of the White House cybersecurity coordinator, and that was a job that was designed to pull together all of the daily barrage of cyber attacks occurring in the country to um, talk
talk about what we are doing defensively, what is offensively coming in. He dismantled that office. According to this national security report, the uh, after cyber attacks, the top threat to the United States include the rise of smaller, more deadly nuclear and biological weapons, terrorist attacks by the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda, and Russian influence and other countries' influence campaigns and threats to the United States and its space assets. You don't hear Trump talking about any of that. But that's what the real intelligence agencies and experts say we need to be paying attention to. No mention in their report of a wall built of concrete, built of sticks, built of steel, built of lies. Our counterterrorism officials have for years and years and years discounted the idea of Islamic terrorists trying to enter the United States through the southwest border. They have said this is not a threat, and in fact, they have even said there are more of them crossing from the United States into Mexico to get, as I, as I mentioned before. So, the disconnect between reality and the president's whims uh, gargantuan. And you've got people all over this country now who don't know how to pay their bills, who are in true jeopardy because this idiot wants to build a wall. Uh, never mind, of course, that we know this big crisis. Um, maybe you could say there was a crisis in 2007, 2008, but the numbers of illegal um, migrants into the United States across our southern border has been dropping precipitously since then. I mean, it's... I, f I mean, it's hard not to feel that we're living really in some kind of, you know, really lousy Twilight Zone uh, episode. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, we have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello, Lynn. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Hey, um, <clears throat> this shutdown in these national parks, I always thought that they should charge to, for people to go in those, at least to pay for the maintenance of them, to pick up the trash, the whatever maintaining of the parks and, and museums and that. It should be some type of fee. This free going in, and not, not all of them are, I know. But that would solve some of the problem there in that respect. And another thing, I don't think the taxpayer should pay for a presidential library. I think that should be funded by the Republicans or the Democrats in that way, some type of donor type of thing. This is BS that uh, we put money into those libraries. It's just ridiculous. Okay. And if Trump wanted to build 
so friggin' bad. Why didn't he do it when he, instead of giving tax cuts to the rich, when we had more money? Now we're stretched money, and then as soon as they do that, then they want to go after entitlements or something like that to balance it out. Luckily, well, we have the Democrats in there to balance the power right now, or we'd be really screwed. Yep. Well, some people suggest he really doesn't want to build the wall. He just wants to use the building of the wall as a way to keep his base riled up. If if it were actually built, then what would he do? It was all. It, 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 it would also prove. I mean, first of all, it would waste extraordinary amounts of money. Would say it, for, it's impossible. The wall. Anybody who's looked into it with any, not to mention the fact that most people living on that borderline. Don't want a effing wall. No. They don't see a crisis, and, and it's happening right outside their front doors. This crisis. And all these refugees coming over, um, we should take care of them, house them, feed them, take care of them. And the reason they're here is blowback from our foreign policy, making those areas unstable and war torn. That's what's going on. And we're feeling the blowback now. I don't know so much about the immigrants. That's Mexico. I don't know where, you know, the situation is with that. But I'm sure there's other ones that come in that way. But um, we caused a lot of that overseas. We should bear the responsibility of it when we screw it up. Okay. Which I think we should take care of. Okay. okay. Bye. Thank right, you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Did anyone see this during, I saw this, I thought it was the funniest thing I've seen, and I really, uh, <clears throat> I don't belong to Instagram, but get this, Stormy Daniels <clears throat> tweeted this uh, before the address last night. If you're looking for anything even remotely worth watching tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be folding laundry in my underwear for eight minutes on Instagram.live. Is not that the most... Did anyone see it? I'm serious. I got to know. Because I, did she, I mean, I don't know if it's a joke, but I would think she could have done it. It's a riot. If you don't want to look at, you know, Trump, watch Stormy Daniels fold her laundry in her underwear. It is the, I think that's just brilliant. I love that woman. I just love her. I do. I think she's brilliant. Okay, so I haven't mentioned what happened after Trump, and that was when I first saw, I mean, this is the Democratic response. Um, first of all, how do you respond to something you haven't heard? So, I mean, they, I always think this is such a, they have to have written their response before they ever heard what he said. Um, which puts them at a bit of a disadvantage. However, knowing him, uh, you know, they just use the time to call him out on, on all the in, inanity and insanity. <coughs> but there was something about, I'm sorry, <coughs> the fact that I worked in televisions for so many years, I... I can't, was there a better way to do that than have the two of them standing there at the same podium? Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, Pelosi and Schumer. So when they went to them and I first saw them both standing there, like, as some more than one person pointed out, it looked like that Grant Wood painting. All you had to do was give Schumer a pitchfork. You know, American Gothic, that... So, and then Pelosi started talking first, and let me tell you how difficult it is to be on a two-shot, which is all it was. It was just a two-shot, and she's talking, stone-faced, to the camera, 
And Schumer's got to stand there staring straight ahead, not saying anything. It's just an uncomfortable, it, it, it is, and I thought, could, is, would there have been some other way? First of all, I'll tell you one way, flip a coin and have just one person rebut so you didn't have this, this, this strange, uh, you know, couple on a wedding cake look. And, and then I have to say this, even though it it's, has nothing to do with um, the substance of what they were talking about or what we are talking about, but dear God in heaven, Nancy Pelosi has got to wean herself from the Botox. Guys, that is not a normal-looking 80-something-year-old woman. That is frightening, the way she looked last night. Her eyes were, they looked like little orphan Annie eyes. They were that round. I'm not kidding. I, I thought, how? It looks like, can she blink? It looks it looked frightening to me. Take a look if you didn't see it. There were like these big round eyes. And then her mouth barely moves. She's obviously, these everything is paralyzed on her face. That's what Botox does. It's injecting botulism into your face. And it is not... I mean, she's from California. I got to tell you, in the nation state of California, that's the way women often look. They're expected to be extraordinarily thin and to never show age. There are no wrinkles. They put themselves through God knows what, facial peels. I mean... She's an attractive woman who looks bizarre to me, some, especially last night. I don't know who the hell made her up. She looked bizarre. And she could hardly speak. And she was very stiff. And I was very uncomfortable watching her. I don't think I heard a word she said. I was just fixated on that frozen face. Had to say it. Jesus. At least Schumer, when he talked, I heard what he said because he, he looked like a human being. She, it's frightening. Milton uh, wants to tell the caller the National Park Service proposes more than doubling the entrance fees at 17 popular national parks. Um, <coughs> the entrance fee for a private vehicle would jump to $70. There already are entrance fees, is what he's telling us. Okay? Uh, wow. That's doubling it. The cost for a motorcycle entering the park would increase to 50 bucks from the current fee of 15 to 25 Jesus. I don't, you know, okay, so again... Poor people can't do anything anymore. I don't know. The cost of an annual pass, which permits entrance into all federal lands and parks, would remain at $80. So there's the smart thing to do if you take advantage of the parks. Thank you, Milton, as usual. And oh my God, he sent me Stormy folding her laundry. Ah! Um... <laughs> it is. She's just, she looks like anybody folding her laundry. She's doing nothing. It's just a, she's sitting on her bed and she's wearing a bra and um, she's folding her laundry. What can I tell you? She's not made up. She's just <laughs> folding her laundry <laughs> for eight minutes. In case you didn't want to watch Trump. That is too funny. That God. God bless her. I love it. I love it. Oh. Okay. Oh, guys. Uh, Gigi wrote, uh, 
I I just want to know how many people made sleek last night. And um, she said, I did. <laughs> I did. Guess what? I did too. I left here. I got so hungry for it, talking about it, that I left here and I, w I stopped and I, I bought some kale and some black-eyed peas and I figured I had all the other stuff. And then I couldn't wait. And when I, it was so good. I made enough to feed, I suppose, four people. I ate the whole damn thing. I, I, it was so good. And I left a bunch of stuff out. I, I forgot the garlic, which is a big part of it. Whatever the hell I did, it was delicious. The trick is you have to caramelize the onions. The onions are the thing. You start with onions, and ideally you do it in butter. And the bizarre thing is some of you sent me recipes, but I thought, well, I'm going to go online and, and, and look. And in looking at recipes for sleek, one of the first things that came up was this exchange between a woman, and I think this was years ago, a woman who is from Pittsburgh. And I think her husband owns Khalil's, which I think is on Bomb Boulevard, because Sleek is one of the things they do. Sleek, by the way, I now know, is a Syrian dish, okay? And this woman talks about seeing somebody asking about sleek and how to make it, and because she was missing it, having moved from Oakland, PA, Pittsburgh, where she said, I used to eat sleek in so many wonderful Lebanese and Syrian restaurants, and she moved to Oakland, California, where she couldn't find any, which seems bizarre to me. And she was saying, how do I make it? And so the woman gave this long dissertation about it, but that's where I learned about you got to slowly do the onions. She said it, as much as 25 minutes until they are slow, low-heat butter. Oh, my God. And then the black-eyed peas. And then the kale. And then she had coriander in, in it as well, which I did too. And I think that's all I did. I, and I forgot the garlic, and I didn't even put in the couscous or the bulgar wheat, which is another most of the recipes had. Guys, so, um, so is that is it just Gigi and me who did it? Jeez, Gigi writes, oh yeah, the caramelized onions. <laughs> Woo! Oh God, they're the key. It was so good. And she says, I forgot the garlic too, but it was so good. I I want to make it every night. I'm gonna now. I I have actually. I realized after I polished it all off I thought I still have enough kale I got more black-eyed peas it is unbelievably delicious that's all I want to say sleek ladies and gentlemen uh, wasn't that weird yesterday the weather I was out practically in my shirt sleeves walking the dog at 3. And then last night I was I was dressed in my you know igloo outfit with with um with I had I had a scarf wrapped around my neck to keep the to keep the hood from blowing off. It was like a friggin' hurricane. Jeez. Strange, to say the least. Okay. Um, mm, 
Oh, this sort of disquieting uh, story I saw in the Wall Street Journal, front page today. This is the Wall Street Journal. Headline. Social media's new advisors lean right. And it is an article about how Facebook and Twitter are, because they're under so much pressure to keep hate speech and stuff like that off, off their sites, have strangely turned to right-wing groups to help them police political speech on their platforms. When I say right-wing, it says right here, Facebook has privately sought advice from Tony fucking Perkins. Are you aware of who Tony Perkins is? He is the hate-filled Christian. He's a representative of the new kind of Christianity that Jesus would no more recognize <laughs> as anything that he could possibly have given rise to. Tony Perkins is the head of the Family Research Council. They are so far off the, to the right. They are homophobic. They are sexist. They are, in, and it's a bunch of white folks, believe me, so they're probably racist as well. Anyway, people say that, so Facebook has been privately uh, meeting with Tony Perkins so that they can gain his insight into what constitutes hate speech, what they should keep off their platforms. Twitter's chief, is my voice getting higher? Twitter's chief executive, Jack Dorsey, oh my God, recently hosted dinners with a whole bunch of conservatives, including the vile Grover Norquist, the one, as you know, remember you used to have to, if you were a Republican, take a pledge to Grover Norquist that you would never vote for any uh, tax, for anything. Grover Norquist famously said, I want to shrink government so that I can drown it in a bathtub. I didn't have time to read the entire article. I also don't think I had the, uh, I didn't have the wherewithal. Facebook and Twitter. Hey, uh, uh, oh, Jesus, God. They have not come to terms with their responsibilities, and uh, they don't have a clue. They're too busy making money. Hey, this is a shocker, too, also from the Wall Street Journal. Headline, emissions of carbon climb 3.5%. Ah, it's the second largest increase in two decades. Strange that it would happen with Republicans in total control, Republicans who don't believe in climate change and us having anything whatsoever to do with it wouldn't have anything to do with Republicans relaxing, rolling back, and eviscerating all kinds of environmental protections and regulations designed to keep carbon out of our atmosphere. Yeah, carbon emissions rose 3.5% after three years of declines. Huh. Biggest jump since 2010. Hmm. Let's try to remember. Okay, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. That was 
uh, Barack Obama was the president. Yeah, we were clamping down, trying to do the right thing, trying to be a world leader. And then, yes, Donald Trump was elected, pulls out of the Paris Accords, and off we go. So, just got to say, real-time impact. Also, it appears that the... Um, Oh, I didn't mention. I was just about to say how this document that we weren't supposed to see that shows that the president's campaign chairman in 2016 was busy meeting with Russians <laughs> who were pals with Vladimir Putin and feeding them polling data uh, meaning that would give them the information they would need to interfere um, as effectively as possible in the U.S. election. Uh, this is astonishing, and man, it's as close to a smoking gun regarding collusion with the Russians that has surfaced yet. This happens also, as we find out, that that Russian lawyer who supposedly was meeting with Don Jr. and the son-in-law um, about uh, orphans in, in Russia around the same time um, actually also is a, uh, in tight with the Kremlin, which she had denied. And she has now been charged in a separate case um, that revealed her incredibly close ties with the Kremlin. So there are Russians crawling all over this Trump campaign from the beginning. Uh, it's something. And then news comes this morning that Ron... Rosenstein is leaving. He had been overseeing the Manafort, I mean, not the Manafort, excuse me, the Mueller investigation. And um, the president has wanted him out, and he's now leaving. And he will be leaving it to the this goon, the acting AG, but also this other guy coming in, Barr, who um, will be probably at that point sitting before the Senate Judiciary Committee um, and probably being, probably being passed through as the new Attorney General. This is a guy who has written extensively on how he thinks Mueller's investigation is, um, if not a witch hunt, is going far afield. So we're heading into some real, real heavy, heavy seas in the next few months. The wall and all of this crap that we've been, you know, focused on, um might, in fact, be, shockingly, a distraction <laughs> uh, because we know there's no crisis. The crisis is in the Oval Office with a president who would not be there if it were not for collusion, in all likelihood, with the Russians. And, might I add, collusion with our national media. And, might I add, uh, the inability of Democrats to run a national campaign. Or at least Hillary Clinton. <sighs> wow. So, uh, heading into some uh, serious stuff. Um, Beth writes, 
we just couldn't watch his address last night and instead watch Queer Eye on Netflix. When I heard that Nancy and Chuck were doing the Democratic response, I thought when the fly, fly over the folks see it as them, oh, when the flyover folks see it as them, they will not even listen. Well, odds are most people didn't listen, right? They should have had one of the newly elected Congress members do an address like this. Okay, so this is Beth producing what the Democrats should have done. Have the whoever, younger congressperson, introduce themselves and then say, the best person to address the president's remarks and contradict his ideas is himself. And then just show a montage of Trump's speeches saying just the opposite, that Mexico will pay for the wall and all of his other various statements, then end it, then end it with a clip of Trump saying to Schumer, I own the shutdown. They just need to attack this media president with stronger media. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I am in agreement with that. Um, I have to say I am really beginning to love Stormy Daniels. Beth says there was a rumor that she and Kathy Griffin were going to do a New Year's Eve special since they say they were both screwed by Trump. Oh, I so wish they had, that they would, and have blown Ryan Seacrest and Andy and Cohen and Anderson out of the water. I can't watch any of that crap on uh, on New Year's Eve. I, I always make a point of being in bed uh, before the New Year. I, I do. I, I hate New Year's Eve. I think it's the most dangerous night of the year to be out because you got you know there's drunks driving all over kingdom come and so I just I avoid it I find heading into the new year with contemplation and sobriety uh, makes a lot more sense rather than starting out the new year hungover it just doesn't make any sense to me Okay. Obit of the day. Bernice Sandler. She has died at the age of 90. So Bernice Sandler, her friends called her Bunny, um, grew up in the 30s and the 40s, and even as a little girl, she wondered, which is more than I did. I didn't wonder. I just accepted it. God, what a wuss I was. She wondered why the girls weren't allowed to be crossing guards. I didn't. She wondered why they weren't allowed to fill the ink wells. Well, uh, not that old. We didn't have ink wells. Or they weren't allowed to operate the slide projector. All of those things only the boys could do. But that was just the way it was. And then she uh, grew up, went to college, and then uh, got a job teaching part-time at the University of Maryland. And she tried to get a full-time position and was told there's no way. And here were the reasons she was given. <laughs> Quote, you come on too strong for a woman. Another one said, you women stay at home when your children are sick. And a third said, look, you're just a housewife who went back to school. Full-time positions are for men. That was 1969. 
And I must say, um, I was already in college then, and I started to think, did I have women professors? Not many. Not many at all. Some were, I, I didn't know, you know, the rankings at that point. Some were probably, as, you know, TAs or something like that. There were a few, but I really have no recollection of a woman. So she ended up never getting over that. She also didn't really consider herself much of a, of a feminist. But she was just pissed off because she thought, I'm every bit as capable, and what the heck is this? So she started looking into, as an interested person, this kind of uh, sexual discrimination. And... She joined something called the Women's Equality Action League. It doesn't exist anymore. It was sort of a spin-off from the National uh, Organization for Women. And in 1970, she began a years-long effort via a class action suit in which all women... <laughs> were parties, all women in higher education. That's all she was targeting at the time. And they didn't go to court, but they filed an administrative complaint with the Labor Department. Smart, actually. They filed this complaint as a class action against all colleges and all universities in the country. And they charged, this is 1970, they charged that there was a, quote, industry-wide pattern of discrimination against women in academia. They asked the Labor Department for an investigation and they just went to work, you know, getting all the information uh, they could. And they ended up with uh, pages and pages of documentation that was in the complaint. Uh, they found quotas all over the place, like uh, Cornell School of Veterinary Medicine that had a quota of never more than two women allowed in to any class. That was it. All other positions were for males. Only two women. Married women, they found, were often denied scholarships. And she went after individually all kinds of universities. I mean, you name the university, odds are that Bunny Sandler was on them. She found uh, a congresswoman, obviously they were in short supply too, uh, from Oregon, Edith Green, who agreed with her to hold uh, hearings uh, in the House of Representatives. And this was also in 1970. And uh, the congresswoman uh, ended up hiring uh, Sandler to put together the written record of the, the hearing. And that record became the basis for what we now know as Title IX. Title IX was championed in the House by the Congresswoman. It was championed in the Senate by Senator Birch Bayh of Indiana, a Democrat. And that bill got pushed through the House, passed. Through the Senate, passed. And signed into law 
by the President of the United States, Richard M. Nixon. The difference that Title IX has made is, is, it, is just overwhelming. It changed the landscape of uh, colleges and universities. Uh, it required that male and female students have equal access to admissions. So there, there were quotas. There were, women were simply kept out. that women be given equal access to financial assistance, to resources. And so the reality is that every woman who has gone to college since, has gotten a law degree or a medical degree, he was able to take shop instead of home ec. My God, in my day, that was, what? Uh... Any woman who ever entered a military academy owes it to Bernice Sandler. Her friends called her Bunny. Just another pissed off woman who wasn't willing to just say, hmm, well, that's the way it is. So she lived a long life after that, and um, she was involved in um, all her life to combating sex discrimination. She was very involved in the Citadel being integrated. And she initially thought that Title IX would just sort of like do it. Everything would be cool. There'd be a level playing field. And over the course of her life, she saw that that was not the case. And she realized that true change, as she put it, quote, would take more than my lifetime to accomplish. As we women in the Me Too era can well attest. You know, to remember what it was like in our lifetime, those of us who are older, it, it is mind-boggling. You guys, you white guys, had it all to yourselves forever. And it's only been in the blink of an eye that you've had to compete with women and with black people and with brown people and with gay people. You wonder, you know, we always ask this question, where are all these angry white men come from? Hello? They had it all. They didn't even, none of us knew. That was just the way it was. And of course, women and blacks being acknowledged as equals meant that there were fewer jobs for the white guys, that they were subject to more competition. And it wasn't just affirmative action hires of less qualified people, oh no. Definitely not. Geez, we're out of time. I only have time for Brooks' email here. Uh, first, I listened, talking about Trump, no video. I listened to both Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer, and then I watched the video later. Pelosi and Schumer come across much better with no video. <laughs> well, I believe that would be true. As I said, I didn't hear a word she said. I felt the words were well chosen and well spoken. Later, when watching the video, Pelosi is less effective because she has that deer-in-the-headlights look on her face. You know what? And i got to tell you, 
women in flyover country and women in a whole bunch of other places, including this woman, woman don't look like that. And they look at her like she's a creature from another planet. I think if Democrats want to, you know, have the real people, regular ordinary Americans, you know, listen to them, then they should at least look like a fellow human and not some bizarro Californian. And Californians don't look real. I'm here to tell you. Brooke says, as for Trump, it doesn't seem to matter, video or not. He comes across as a freaking idiot. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I thank you very much. And, uh... I'm going to be back tomorrow, as far as I know, and um, and I hope uh, you will, too. Joe Pivo, our uh, everyman, uh, is going to join us for another half hour on Friday. Okay? Toodles. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.